by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. Um, my name is Melanie Robson and today I would, am so excited to welcome our very first guest. Her name is Sarah. Um, and Sarah has very kindly um, offered to talk to us about her experience and her journey with endometriosis. I'm sure you know there are many women out there who... Uh, at various stages of endo, endo and of diagnosis or whatever that kind of journey and process is like, which I've heard is um, very intense. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Melanie. I'm, I am so, um, I'm actually so excited to be here and I feel really honoured that I'm your first guest. Um, it makes it really, um, I feel like a little bit of pressure though. <laughs> ah, no pressure, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but um, yes, th- no problems at all. I'm, we're really honoured, honestly, to have you come on and share your experience because I just think there's, you know, when, when we um, came up with the idea of the podcast and put that kind of shout out, we just, I have, we had so much contact from women so keen to share their story and I just think it's so important. We all here believe that it's so important for women to, to share their stories because I think there is still so much well, hidden away. That's why we ended up calling oh. it that because there's so many, I mean, let's be honest, there's many layers to women because we're wonderful creatures but also there's still a lot, I think, with many subjects that are a bit taboo or a bit shameful or traumatic, you know, kind of thing. So the more women are willing to talk about that and other women to hear that, you know, to offer, I guess, that hope of things that can, in, can improve and the, the importance of sharing experiences, I just think is... Definitely. And I think um, the hidden world, endometriosis certainly falls mm. into that category. Um, mm. It's just a huge... Unknown that people have, uh, I, generally when I tell people that I have it, mm-hmm. the first comment that people just make is, I don't know what that is. Wow, really? um, and I read a blog a couple of weeks ago put out by Endometriosis Australia and this girl was quoted as saying, my hope is that when I say I've got endometriosis, mm-hmm. people know what it is. Wow. And that's just like, I, I made me really emotional when I read that because I was like, wow, you just don't. It's, it's uh, just so that, you know, endometriosis, mm-hmm. and I should explain what it is. Would yeah, you like me to do that? That would be brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So um, endometriosis obviously just occurs in women because it's around our um, sexual reproductive organs mm-hmm. and it is where the lining of the uterus sheds itself into your abdomen mm-hmm. and it typically starts where it happens just around your um, period uh, and then obviously it becomes incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. And over time, because the average diagnosis is eight years, over time wow. it becomes more and more painful and sometimes we um, are in such incredible pain constantly mm. Um, mm. and I remember when I was diagnosed I was in pain constantly and I actually thought I was dying and had cancer that's how unwell I was yeah. um, and so it takes a long time to get a diagnosis because we as, as a pain experience we have no idea that our pain is different to anyone else's so mm. I always thought I actually thought for a long time I was a complete hypochondriac and I thought, well, if everyone else is just going about in their day with having a period, why can I not function? Sure. Um, and that's how I felt for a long time. And um, I started my periods when I was 14. And by the time I was 16, I grew up in the country. Yeah. Um, this is 30 years ago. And my mum took me to our family GP who put me on a really high dose pill, which is yeah. now it's a very inappropriate treatment for a 16 year old girl yeah. um and kind of just patted me and just said she's just you know not, it was kind of implied that I obviously was a little bit soft right. <laughs> um it's yeah condescending isn't it yeah yeah and my mum I'm sure she'll be listening to this and she carries mm-hmm. immense guilt oh. um that she but none of us knew what it yep. was like I 
um, things really started to escalate in my late twenties mm. and, um, to a point where I lost consciousness several times from the pain and oh they start to take that quite seriously then. Cause yes. they're like, well, something's, you know, you end Genuinely up Genuinely wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and when I was diagnosed, I actually, I can't remember if I had an MRI or a CT, one of the ones where they scan your whole body and I had yeah. loads of cysts. And after I had my mm. first surgery and they said, you've got endometriosis, you've got stage four, which is the most advanced. Right. I just remember thinking, oh, great. So I'm not dying, yeah. don't have cancer. And yeah. then I left with a, like a trifold brochure because mm-hmm. it's sort of pre-internet-y days. <laughs> and that's all I had to, all the information I had to know about this disease that I had. Mm. And um, I, I remember at the time it was so, I was so grateful and relieved. Mm. And now sort of 20 years into my journey, um, there's times when I've have had such struggles with feeling like maybe if I just had cancer, it would be easier because then I would be sick and I would die or get better, which sounds wow. awful for people with cancer yeah. because you just don't get better and mm-hmm. you just live with it as a constant thing, which is mm-hmm. um, really hard on your close family and mm-hmm. um, particularly your, I have two very close friends that shoulder a lot of my um propping up and my mum mm. and my husband and sadly now my children mm. so yeah it is a, it's a tough tough thing wow I mean and that look that thank you for sharing all that I mean that's oh, pleasure I'm, I'm really um happy to share because yeah. I think the more that we talk about it, the yeah. more people will understand it definitely and you know and, and it certainly surprised me when you said you know many people still many women included still don't know what it is or might not have heard of it or might have heard of it and gone oh well I don't have it so it, I don't really no, but I, I think that's um, – I've certainly heard from friends I have who um, have it or have other gynecological issues that it does – it takes a long time to be diagnosed, but lo- but hard to be taken seriously. Like you said, there's this kind of – and, I mean, like you were saying, this was a few years ago when you first started experiencing symptoms, mm. but, but to be actually heard and taken seriously that it's not just – you know period pain and that you just Mm. need to kind of get on with it but like you said if that's your normal how do you know apart from looking at your friends and going well (laughs) they're not on the floor in a ball but I am most of the time or half the month or whatever how do you know you know and I can't imagine pre-internet you know what that must have been like for you how confusing Um, it was really I I remember having inside my head Mm -hmm. like a now now as a 46 year old women have such a better understanding of mental health Um, and at the time I think that I was probably suffering a little bit of depression because inside your head you have lots of strange monologues going on about why can't I cope what's wrong with me Um, and and thinking that it's all in your head and it's really interesting because endometriosis now is treated quite holistically Um, and there's a lot because it used to be just treated like we just cut the disease out and we just get a jog on Mm -hmm. and um very often that's unsuccessful in managing pain Mm -hmm. Um, and so now they treat it like why we treat pain not just the disease which I think is a it's a a subtle but important change Mm -hmm. and I think that's really really key because um I'm sure as you know as a psych um, people Mm. that live with chronic pain Mm. um it has a detrimental effect on their whole quality of life um and I look back now and I'm ashamed at how I treated myself I pushed very Mm. hard on Mm. my body and myself because I was like well, there can't be anything wrong with me. Jeff's must be silly. And in those days, um, Panadine Fort was over the counter. Mm, <laughs> and I, 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 I would, days, I would yeah. shudder to think how many of those. I just used to take them like lollies. I'd take like the eighth yeah. a day that you could take all the time. Yeah. Um, and just kind of push on and, and 
so determined that I could psych my way out of being fine. Right. And now it's only in the probably the last three or four years that they've also um, come up with, with endometriosis that fatigue is a genuine mm. symptom and mm. a genuine part of the disease. Yeah. And I look at how I pushed myself to the brink of my body. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit sad that I did that because I didn't understand that I needed to be kind to myself. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think many women do that who, who have endo yes. or have any kind of like ovarian cysts? I've Unfortunately, don't oh, and, them, and a PCOS as well. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, so all of that's kind of wrapped up in the same family. And um, I just think that there should be um, a whole lot more mm. um, information around endometriosis that is as common as diabetes. Wow, um, is it really? Yeah, and yeah. it gets one-tenth of the government funding. Um, and so no one goes, I don't know what diabetes is. Everyone knows yeah. that they learn about it yeah. at school. So yeah. um, it has a very different connotation. And I think that... Um, if you're diagnosed with a condition, um, it would be helpful to get support. I was um, mm-hmm. genuinely lucky when I was living in Sydney. I worked for Nestle, who I know that people yeah. perceive that as an evil overlord. <laughs> they were amazing <laughs> in the way in which I was treated. Um, I was given um, access to, I'd use up all my sick leave. And when yeah. I'd had surgery, I um, had complications and I was given constant paid leave. And when mm. I went back to work, I was given a job share opportunity and still kept my oh, pay. Yeah. So, and that was, that was like 20 years ago. So um, it's not like, it's not all bad, but um, obviously a company that has a fabulous HR department. Yeah. Um, kind of <laughs> and lucky. I guess yeah. if you're a complete workaholic like me, then that tends to give you some grounds to get some assistance but I felt like that's how they kind of treated their employees and Mm. um it it wasn't a question that I was needed time off because I was soft if I had to work from home I was able to do that Mm -hmm. um and that was really amazing Mm. Uh, and unusual (laughs) yeah very unusual I think even in this day and age it's still a bit of a battle perhaps different through the pandemic and and whatnot Mm. uh, especially especially I mean they knew you 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 disclosed that you had endometriosis yes well I've had to have surgery so um you need time off for that don't you so and um having treatment um which is often compromising to your overall capacity to work um which I'm in the middle of some of that treatment again at the moment um it's so I'm in a medically induced menopause at the moment like a chemically induced and Um, it's, it's quite awful. And, um, I did a couple of six month bouts that when I worked there and, mm-hmm. um, you just can't, um, function at the level that you normally can. It's just, mm. you can't push through it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, you have to kind of, something will give. Yeah. It, it, you know, and it sounds like your body is yelling that very loud and clear and it can be, a, imagine it must be a real battle, particularly like you were saying, you're quite workaholic and, you know, you wanted to just kind of push on, but you physically can't do it and how that messes with your mind, like you said, you know, that can really affect your mental state and then living yes. with a chronic um, a chronic condition and then the pain, a pain condition as well as the actual disease itself. And there's all these, sounds like there's just these layers and levels. That yeah, gotta, there is. And you, you kind of, I, I was determined, it's only probably the last three or four years that I've outwardly and publicly spoken about having endometriosis. And mm-hmm. I feel quite determined to talk about it because mm-hmm. um, it, it needs to come out of the shadows and people need to understand what it is as a condition. And I was determined not to be defined by my illness. And so yeah. I used to just go, oh, yeah, I've just got endometriosis. And I'm like, what's that like? Well, I've had eight surgeries. And I just kind of brush wow. it off. Yeah. And and um, mm. now I don't diminish it because mm. I'm diminishing everybody else that suffers with it. Mm. Um, what can I ask? What um, sorry to interrupt, but like what a- what helped you shift 
your kind of mind about that or that when you were, were not talking about it and then just kind of being a bit dismissive to, you know what, it, it, it is as bad as what it is and, I'm, and I really mm. want to talk about it. Like how um, did you get to that? When I was approaching having a hysterectomy and mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of research into that because uh, that's quite a big decision sure. um, and I, it didn't go well and it didn't go as planned and I'm um, right. obviously not disease-free, which is often what you're promised. Mm. Um, so I've been – it only was a few months after I had surgery that I was back in hospital in pain. So – um, it kind of made me really determined that yep. um, I was in a couple of groups online and in um, I'm, I'm, I have such gratitude for living in Australia and our mm-hmm. amazing healthcare system here. Mm-hmm. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups where there are people in America and the mm-hmm. way in which they're treated and a lot of very young girls in their early 20s are given hysterectomies <gasps> as the magic wow. bullet to yeah. cure endometriosis. And um, I just kind of felt like people need to speak up and talk about their journey and yep. what worked and what didn't work and being an advocate for our own health. And I've always yes. been a very strong advocate for my health. Um, yes. When I was 29, it was recommended I have a hysterectomy then um, wow. because I was told I'd never have children. And I obviously went on and had two sons. Yep. And I just think if I hadn't been so determined to be my own advocate, yep. um, I would have been pushed down a path that wouldn't have helped. And um, we have to hear other people's story to know that we can be that mm. person for ourselves. Mm, so true. I think, and I think that uh, I'm making a generalization here, but I think for many women, they struggle to advocate for themselves and to have a voice. And we still, you know, we have a medical profession and thank goodness, honestly, I'm very grateful. And sometimes though, it can be hard to say no and say, you know what, I don't always want to kind of outsource what you think is best for me. I need to kind of explore some options or what are the options kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those those promises, like I think it's dangerous for any, I guess, any person to say oh, 100% we can cure something, you know, unless you 100% know yeah. you can cure something. And but, yeah, go yeah. I think a lot of women who have endometriosis have um, really severe fertility issues. It's one of the main side yeah. effects. Yeah. And um, I, I I look back now with the, you know, the graciousness of mm-hmm. age and wisdom mm-hmm. and know that probably they were trying to not let me have any false hope of oh, having a child. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a lot of women with endo don't go on to have children, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of fertility issues and that's a very, um, mm-hmm. very difficult journey. And so I understand now why they'd said that but I still feel like they didn't make it enough of my choice and um yeah I was told in in if I'm quite honest my Mm -hmm. first surgeon was quite an older gentleman Mm -hmm. and I felt like he was quite patronizing and he basically kind of laughed and said well you'll never go on to have children Mm. um and I was just like well I Mm. want to have the choice (laughs) absolutely you You know and so that's that's in the face of that it's very hard to stand up and go no I'm not going to do that Mm. and um Mm -hmm. Before I went into the surgery, he said, will you sign a disclaimer if we have to give you a hysterectomy? I said, no, if it goes badly, you can wake me up and I'll sign it. Wow, <laughs> um, good on you. <laughs> but um, I was just really determined. I just, I, I truly believe we have to have choice. And um, yeah. at that time, I didn't even know if I um, was ready to have children, but I knew I wanted to have them one day. Sure. Because once... Once you have that taken out, once that uterus is gone, it, there's very limited. No, there's no <laughs> options. There's no. Uh, well, if that happened, I would be starting my own sort of religion. <laughs> yeah, you know, that might be interesting, but <laughs> um, but that, I think that's a key thing: the choice. You know, um, and particularly when you when you have an an experience 
which is without choice. You know, you're, mm. you have a, a disease. Is it called a disease? It's a disease, you know, taking yes. over the body and you can't, there's not much you can do about that, you know. And it's, again, I think it's so important. I think for women too, where sometimes we struggle to feel like we have choices or have a voice or we get kind of bulldozed into things or for whatever reason friends yeah. and family all the the experts kind of thing and when you I think too perhaps when you're young and vulnerable um and scared and confused you know it's and, and with a lack of information in those days too big time I mean what do you think you would have done if you hadn't had that says this you had the surgery and that's when they said yes you have endo so I had my first surgery and um I was diagnosed with stage four which is considered the most severe because that means it's growing on your other organs so it's growing on my bowel and my bladder which um, also has its own yep. lot of complications mm-hmm. um and one of my ovaries has never really functioned because it's really scarred and damaged so mm-hmm. um and the other one my fallopian tube is considered not to be high function which is the rationale behind not being able to have children and my mm. uterus is a mess. So there was all these things that said very clearly I shouldn't be able to have children. So that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, but um, I then had hormone treatment and then a second mm. lot of surgery. And that was when they had really pushed for me to have a hysterectomy. Mm. And I was like, I just think I want you to do more tidying up because I sure. feel like there's, sure. we can, we can still keep running at this until I'm ready to have children. And by then yeah. um, let's just cross it. I just felt like I didn't want to make a decision then. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you might re- regret essentially. Well, you would regret it because yeah. Yeah. there's just no choices. There's no chance. Yeah. Pretty scary thought really. Um, mm. Can you please talk us through the stages? Like you said you were diagnosed at stage four. Yes. Yeah. So there's four stages, what stage one to four, mm-hmm. and it is based on the extensiveness of your disease. So obviously mm-hmm. Um, the endometrium lining, which is the cells, grow mm-hmm. outside. And mm-hmm. so depending on how many there are and how far they grow, mm-hmm. um, and that's then the, the different stages. So stage one is just a little bit and then up to stage four, which is occurring on other organs in your body outside your reproductive organs. So yeah. for me, that was my bowel and my bladder. Other mm-hmm. people have it like on their kidneys. It's been, it has been found in women in a post-mortem in their brain. So it's traveled that oh, far around your body. Um, and also on your lungs as well. So, And that can all cause varying effects on depending where yeah, it is it, in the body? Yeah, um, it can all cause a range of different complications. Right. Um, so for me, I have complications around my bowel that um, are quite persistent yeah. and quite awkward to live with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I, I remember thinking I had IBS, um, ah, irritable bowel syndrome, because yeah. I had a lot of those kind of symptoms. And yep. it can cause um, referred pain. So I always had pain in my um, sort of up under my lungs on my right, which is always every time I went to hospital, it was I, my appendicitis. And I was like, it's really not. Let's yep. can we just it's not. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so it, it, it can also throw off the medical mm-hmm. profession because it doesn't. Um, it doesn't present in a consistent manner. And right. the other awkward thing about this is which what they've learned over time is that a woman with stage one can have the most severe pain and a woman with stage four can have none. So there's no correlation between the, the extensiveness of the disease and the pain that you live with. Do they know why? Like what is that? No. And um, I, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful. I, I follow um, Endometriosis Australia mm. and there's um, there is some funding, and we have a couple of um, federal members of parliament that have thrown their weight behind endometriosis, and it was mentioned in parliament last year for the first time in recorded history. Wow, exciting <laughs> as a disease. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so there's been some funding um, because there's no diagnostic tool outside surgery. Ah, um, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fairly invasive. Yes. Um, there's yeah. no, no, there's no 
then they don't understand what causes it mm-hmm. and they don't know how to cure and treat it. Oh, fabulous. So there's a whole big mess. <laughs> um, I mean, do you, do you have any theories, I suppose, on... I don't know. I suspect they'll find a gene because um, I looked right. through my own family on my father's side. So yeah. my aunt uh, has endometriosis and um, mm-hmm. my cousin only had one child. My other aunt only had one child and my grandma mm-hmm. suffered and she was Irish. So she spoke in her own way that she suffered yeah. terribly with the curse all the oh, time. Okay. So I suspect that's on my father's side. I suspect that will come out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have no medical qualifications for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That makes sense. Uh, that does make sense, though, doesn't it? And um, it's really hard because obviously um, it, it's only been acknowledged as a very recently understood disease. In the time that I've had a diagnosis over 20 years, the way in which it's treated has changed completely. Yeah. Um, here in WA, we have um, world-leading treatments at King Edward Hospital now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so what, we what have they, a, yeah, if you, yeah, the, love to hear about And I'm, I'm under that treatment at the moment myself. So that's mm-hmm. um, there's a pelvic pain clinic mm-hmm. at King Edward that acknowledges that women live with, it's called PPP, persistent pelvic pain. Um, And they acknowledge um, that um, for someone like myself who theoretically I I shouldn't have pain and I live with a lot of pain, Mm. they're looking, they, they treat it very holistically. So you have a team that treats you rather mm. than just a gynecologist. You have a gynecologist, a psychologist, mm-hmm. and also a physiotherapist. That's your treatment oh, team. Nice. And they're taking a holistic approach to that rather than just drugs and surgery. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's considered like world-class. So we're really lucky here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for anyone listening outside of Western Australia, yes. um, King Eddie is like our our main maternity hospital, women and newborns. It's, sort of. it's a leading women's hospital yeah. in Western Australia. Yeah. I was born there, yeah. actually. Great hospital. Well, I don't it know. Is. I haven't been there recently, but um, they do a lot um, of, they do really good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, I think that model comes out of the UK and I do believe there are other pelvic pain and endometriosis clinics at other public hospitals around Australia. Yeah. So, yeah. We are incredibly, like I know people don't understand this, but mm-hmm. we are incredibly lucky to live in Australia with an amazing healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've ha- I've personally probably out of pocket um, in the region of forty to 50000 on my, um, oh my medication and surgeries. Yeah. Um, I have private health insurance, um, yep. but obviously there's gaps yep. and um, waiting for public treatment. And mm-hmm. um, there are women in America that are, bankrupt from their condition oh, so um and i'll give you a quick example the treatment that i'm on at the moment zolodex is mm-hmm. covered under the pbs because i'm officially diagnosed yeah so i pay 30 dollars a month for that medication and mm-hmm. if i was in america i would be paying upwards of 600 a month how is that and even? if you're on that for six months that's a you would have to look very hard at if your family budget allowed that yeah i know i would <laughs> and it's just it's grossly unfair isn't it i mm. mean but i'm um, not going to get into the politics. The treatment's wonderful in that it's really effective in um, helping your pain management. So okay. it changes your quality of life, but it comes at a high price if you yeah. aren't lucky enough to live in Australia. And it's just luck, isn't it, where you're born and where you end up? We, yeah. I, I know a lot of people have lots of different theories, but I've, um, I've lived in the UK, which also has a reasonably yeah. good public healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, travelled a fair bit to America and I um, have such gratitude to live here, even though mm. COVID has played havoc with my access to public health. Um, right. Still pretty great. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I know. Every day goes by that I'm not grateful. Um, I was going to ask around that. So the, the medication is mainly to manage pain. It's not to do any other... Um, so or? the Zolodex that I'm on mm-hmm. um, is actually one of the few known um, 
medications that has been proven clinically to reduce the endometriosis that you have. So reduces um, the growth, so, kind of. Yeah, reduce the actual um, severity of it. Right. And I, but it's not really great for you, so they don't put you on it long term. Okay. Um, and that also because it reduces the inflammation, then reduces your pain levels. Um, ah. But they, um, there are different treatments, especially around um, birth control. So mm-hmm. the Marina IUD mm-hmm. um, can be quite effective. Yeah. Um, I've been in a trial where we trialed two of those. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that's uh, that that I helped me cope reasonably well for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, some women have great success just taking the pill continuously, so not having that um, break. Yeah. Yep. So they the thing about it as well is that different women will respond differently to treatment. Mm-hmm. So, um, and both a traditional medicine and alternative therapies different women have different successes. So it needs to be quite personalised, I suppose, to work out what's going to work for each woman. Yeah, and that's the idea behind this pelvic pain clinic is that yeah. they can you get seen by a consistent team mm-hmm. and you kind of track how life's how you're feeling, how you're going, and not just your pain, but your how are you coping with life and mm. like a holistic approach mm. and therefore they can tailor your treatment plan, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So the role of the psychologist there is to see how you're coping. Yes, and um, to also um, refer you on to the psychiatrist if required Ah. um, so that you're definitely getting, because obviously a lot of women suffer um, anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's a very common side effect. Um, Mm. And um, I think as a psychologist, you're probably aware Mm. of um, sensitization. Mm. So that's Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. um, your body's been responding to pain for so long that then whenever you're stressed or run down, you respond even though there's no pain and so teaching you therapies to manage that if that's something that you suffer yeah it's kind of like the brain the signals kind of start to get it becomes a haywire yes yeah things get get really mixed up with the chronic pain condition that's why kind of not letting yourself be run down is really important yeah i mean what i guess on that note what would you (laughs) advise other women who you know, really uh, in the thick of this in terms of really, really taking care of themselves and what, what kind of barriers are there to that? I mean, we can... uh, well, there's so many because I'm so lucky to work for myself. Right. Um, and so I can manage those good and bad days when mm-hmm. I have flare ups, I can manage them really easily because I work at home. Mm-hmm. And if I want to lie in bed in my pajamas and my laptop, I can do that. Yeah. So I'm incredibly blessed. We know that having endometriosis and women have a higher rate of unemployment because of that because wow. um, they have such yep. high absenteeism. Yep. So um, I am in an unusually lucky position. <laughs> yep. um, but mm-hmm. I think for women, um, having that open conversation with your employer about your health mm-hmm. and being very honest about it, mm-hmm. it's not a time to be shy and embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, bringing in information that supports it to say mm-hmm. fatigue is a real symptom, yeah. um, being unable to get out of bed is a real thing yep. so that people understand that it's not a bad period. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so frustrating Um, so and but I think that the other thing I would strongly recommend Mm -hmm. which is also a lot easier now is that there are some really wonderful online support groups Mm -hmm. um, accessing information through um, organizations like Endometriosis Australia Mm -hmm. um, and getting support because it can be quite lonely Mm -hmm. um, and it can feel like um, you also lean excessively on your support network and the problem with it is because you don't get better yeah they will burn out and we we are all um mindful of that I'm sure mm. I've spoken to other women and it's like you feel like saying I know I think you've all had enough of me now oh, do you, so, <laughs> so do then you... to reach out to those official yeah. channels where you yeah. can go into support groups and speak to people um yeah. get help with your mental health mm. take it seriously I mean because mm. it sounds like you're saying you know with 
you know, I, I think it often it is hard to s- not just ask for help, but to keep leaning on those around you without feeling bad or guilty or that they're going to get sick of you or anything like that. It's, you know, then you mm. have to kind of juggle that. So it, it sounds yes. important to kind of disperse the load in a way, you know, kind of. So and and take those up. because mm. your family who love you and I'm, yeah. I'm so lucky I have a, a gorgeous husband and I have two beautiful sons that yeah. will support me forever and my mum yeah. um, and my friends. But if there are other people that you can, those groups and, um, you know, if you need to go on a mental health plan and speak to someone mm. regularly, then do that yeah. because that is there's such a high correlation between how um, how resilient you're feeling and how how your stress and coping mechanisms are and therefore how you manage your pain right um, there's there's so much evidence to support that that the yeah. you know the less stressed you are the more you know well rested mm-hmm. resilient we are the better we're going to cope when we have flare-ups it doesn't yep. stop them but we cope better yeah and so. surely that's what everyone would want at the end of the day you know to be able to cope as as well as they can hmm Without the... And I don't, I don't think you should. Um, and I'm, I'm saying this as a do as I say, not as I did. <laughs> I don't think we should put a brave face on it because I don't think that serves us or anyone else. Mm. Um, I know my mum's heard me. I spoke at an event a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and my mum said to me, "I didn't know half of that." Wow. <laughs> um, of what I spoke about, and she, I think she was quite hurt. Um, because I lived in Sydney, so I was able to hide a lot of what was going on. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's not a service to people who want to love and support you is to shut them out as well. Mm. I wonder what that's that's about, though, you know, in, in shutting people out or just putting up that brave. I, I think it's because you kind of you're, you feel like you're going to burn people out right. and um you know that they're going to get sick of it because mm. <laughs> you're sick of it of course. <laughs> definitely yeah of course and it, it sounds very much like it's not you might have the physical condition so to speak but really everyone in your life who's important to you is along for the ride as well and absolutely that's just the absolutely deal kind of thing. and there is um the university of queensland is doing some research into partners and carers of people who have endometriosis to wow. see what impact that has nice um I know that my husband is an unusual creature in that um, he just has endless amounts of love and support for me. And um, my two sons who are now 12 and 15 uh, have learned what endometriosis is, understand uh, if I'm not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, my youngest one, he's like, do you want a heat pack, mom? I'll go warm it up oh, for you. Bless. So yeah. no, they're just, um, and I, and I have, have had moments of feeling incredible guilt that they have to understand what that means. And then I mm. remember that I'm teaching them to become compassionate human beings that yeah. will go out into the world with that. Uh, isn't that what we want for all of our children, you know? Yeah. And again, you didn't, you know, you didn't ask for that. They didn't, nobody asked for that. But it, that kind of guilt thing is an interesting mm. beast. And explaining to them, uh, explain to my old child when I had my hysterectomy because he was old enough to understand. Yeah. Um, but when I started this latest round of treatment that I'm on, um, I started in February, which was only meant to be for six months, but it's had to be continued because of COVID. Right. Um, and talking to my sons about what the side effects of that treatment are going to be in terms oh. of, um, that I might be tired and I might be crankier and I might cry more. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, explaining that to them and so that they understand that I might not be myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they kind of get that. And the couple of days after I've had my monthly injection, mm-hmm. um, I tend to not feel very well, either physically a bit nauseous. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they are mindful of that. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I do feel bad, but I also remind myself that, um, compassion is one of the most wonderful mm. traits we can show as human beings. So, for sure, it. yeah. 
absolutely you know and i think the 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 kind of the dual aspect there of the as as children you know they still it's so important to involve them in you know significant things that are happening in the family or in their their Mm. parents that may well be impacting them but also that they're boys and one day they might have girlfriends they might also have boyfriends we don't know but you know they if they but they might also be a boss in a workplace absolutely and someone is sick and 50% of the population are women and how wonderful it it's going to be hopefully if they if that does happen they have girls who are friends kind of thing let alone you know colleagues like you said that they have an yeah so I kind of think they're going out into the world with a better understanding yeah. of that and um I know that there are a lot of children that are carers for their parents so I'm uh, not the worst yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah it isn't it isn't um it, how I dreamed my parenting would be no did, did it um, regarding fertility? So you you were able to have your sons, obviously. Yes. Did, did it was it a bit harder to fall or a bit or a no. lot or no? <laughs> okay. I know, and um, and I'm always reticent to say that because um, I I don't I am I am the exception, yep. not the rule, and so um, we shouldn't hang on to exceptions. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> because if a doctor tells you something, they're probably right, but. Um, to be fair, when I met my husband, um, we were living in London and I told him that I was unable to have children and we didn't use birth control and right. I was pregnant. I met him in February and I was pregnant by, I think, November. Right. So, <laughs> uh, <no problem>. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a complete surprise. But then obviously a lot of anxiety about being able to carry because I knew that I had a lot of scar tissue. Um, oh, okay. So, But that was all kind of, you know, a non-issue he was induced at 41 weeks so that oh, wow. was fine and then in between the two boys I had a couple more surgeries mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I was seeing a fertility specialist who mm-hmm. had said um, don't think because I don't think my fallopian tubes are function that he said we would just do um, mm-hmm. IVF and yeah so the first month after I had had surgery they do this I was starting tracking and mm-hmm. I sort of rang him up and said, when do you think I'm going to get a period? And he said, oh, you know, you should have one by now. And I said, oh, I think I might be pregnant. And he said, no, you won't be. Um, anyway, I rang him back and I said, I've done six tests. I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> wow. Um, yep. And he just wasn't, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. But then obviously he said, I don't think you're going to carry. Um, and again, I carried to full term, but I had a lot more anxiety with my second child because mm-hmm. I'd had more surgeries and that puts more risk at scar tissue. Right. So um, none of it was, I, it wasn't mm. filled with joy. It was mm. filled with anxiety. Mm. Um, but at the end of it, I have two beautiful sons mm. and um, who are both healthy and I didn't have to endure any fertility treatment. So mm. I am unbelievably lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yay. <laughs> and you deserve that. <laughs> my ending. God, after that kind of journey, geez. Um <laughs> Um, what was I thinking then? So, um, when a woman with endometriosis falls pregnant, it sounds like then I wasn't aware, to be honest, that even that you know, carrying to term can be um, not necessarily the so- the case kind of thing because yeah, it's so it depends so you- on what surgery you've had and right. what because um, mine was because it's stage four, it's obviously mm-hmm. very pervasive mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had a lot of scarring and um, a damage to my organs. And right. so that in itself causes complication. Every time you have surgery and they cut your stomach open yeah. um, and wow. that causes scar tissue yeah. and adhesions and all of that has its own set of complications. Mm-hmm. So, which is why sometimes we end up where I'm at now with this pelvic pain, because mm-hmm. 
a lot of that's caused by adhesions now. So yeah. it's just it becomes a snowball of do we treat that or what are we going to do? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, women with endometriosis have to carry a lot of silent crap. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like sort of in, in, in their bodies and in their minds, you know, throughout their lives. For... Yeah, and and I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're treating it now. You know, I, I don't want to, I, I feel like I'm, I, don't, I don't think I can overplay how great the pelvic pain clinic is at the hospital because yeah. having that psychologist there and, and that physiotherapist as well as the gynecologist, yeah. it's that holistic approach that I think this disease absolutely needs mm, and that mm, mm-hmm. um, all women that are diagnosed should be immediately referred. I don't think it's got the funding or facilities, but yeah, um, because yeah. that acknowledgement that you need to treat pain in and of itself, yes. not just as, as part of a disease, is so important. Yeah. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir with you as a psych. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think... Um, well, there'll be more people listening to it than just you and I, so... Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> but that's a, that sounds like a very important distinction. There's two separate things there, the pain mm. and the endometriosis kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And treating them separately is very important and has better outcomes in terms of life, quality of life and stuff like that. Then Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, treating it holistically so that yes. the first thing you do, like a, the first time when I have, like a, when, I had a, when I had a scalar pain, yeah. um, and so as soon as you get to that three, the first thing you do isn't reach for pain medication. It's you reach for a heat bag and then you reach for your tens right. machine. Right. And then if it keeps yeah. escalating, you, you learn how to understand your pain and how to mm. um, differentiate. I can usually differentiate if it's going to keep going or if I'm going to be able to nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. And if it feels like it's really bad, especially at night when you do need sleep, I'll often take something then to, yep. so that I can sleep as well. Because again, that whole needing to keep yourself not yes. run down. Yes. Um, sleep is your it's your best friend. <laughs> yeah. Like serious sleep and serious rest kind of thing. Um, it sounds like it's an interesting, annoying, but interesting kind of um invitation to really get to know your body through some horrible disease basically it is. like you said you and get to know um, I didn't nuances. treat it like that for many years I treated mm. it like I hated my body um wow. I resented the fact that sure. I had something that nobody else that I knew had yeah um I still don't really have very many my my closest friend has it mm. she yeah. um but most of my other friends don't have it yeah. and um it's very hard to get your head around all of those things but I, mm. I I'm like if you're if, not to diminish anyone's but if you're mm. diagnosed now as a younger woman I think there's much more support mm. available online and mm. there's much more information around out there yeah. and um, thankfully there's also much more research going on yeah yeah but you must did you feel really you know pre-diagnosis like isolated or you know and and I'm curious too like how you felt when you well you have mentioned that like when you got diag- diagnosed it, the the kind of relief but then was there this kind of grief as well what what does this mean well, when they're telling me that now, but I know that yeah. many years um I just quietly thought I was quite sick yeah yeah <laughs> I kind of thought um, maybe I've got like yep. cancer of the bowel or Gee. maybe I've got a terminal disease that no one's diagnosed and one day mm. I'm just going to drop dead. Mm. I actually used to think that in my 
head um because I was just like there was a part of me that niggled away that just felt like this couldn't be normal and Mm. um Mm. the relationship that I was in I was obviously quite a bit younger I didn't have that confidence to talk openly like I do with my husband now right um about my periods and Mm. my general level of pain and in, in my head I absolutely thought I was a hypochondriac and I also quietly thought um I think I've done something to myself Wow. to make myself like this like so maybe I had yeah, yeah I don't I don't know what I thought but I definitely yeah. had a lot of blame on myself yeah that I mean that makes sense I think the mind we always try to figure out why and what's happening you know we try to make mm-hmm. sense of things and when we're not getting answers outside of us we kind of look within and even if we go into really dark or weird or places where you think I can't believe I thought that but you're like at the time that made a lot of sense and it was Absolutely. the only explanation I had you know mm. And, and that whole notion, um, I don't think I grieved at the time because I mm-hmm. didn't, thank goodness, yep. didn't know what my path ahead looked like. And um, wow. I think if I'd known that I would go on to have so many surgeries and live with mm. such chronic pain mm. so often, mm. um, I'm not sure that's a good, I don't know how I would, yeah. if I'm honest, how that would have treated that at the time. It's best you don't know your future. Sure. Um, but I do know now that, um the more we focus on understanding our mental health and managing and taking care of that, yeah. the better we're going to be able to cope with any kind of physical condition. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like I've harped on a bit in today's chat, but mm-hmm. I truly believe that. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of people, my mom and my best friend tell me that I'm incredibly resilient and incredibly strong and brave mm-hmm. and I don't feel it um, mm. because I'm in my own head. Right. <laughs> but obviously on the yes. outside looking in, I look like I am. Yeah. And um, always remember those strong way people, the ones that are obviously doing hard. So, mm. yeah. Does it, it, it sounds like it's, I mean, it's made me wonder if you have so much more compassion yourself, speaking of compassion with your sons kind of thing, but the way uh, living with something like this shapes the way you look at the world perhaps and people suffer. It does. Mm. And um, I often look at people. So I have a lovely client who I've worked with for several years now who Mm -hmm. has um, fibromyalgia, Ah, which is often a quiet, invisible disease and um, has has its own series of complications. And Mm -hmm. um, when I speak to her, I feel like there is some, I don't know, it's like a sisterhood Mm -hmm. um, where Mm -hmm. people understand when you have an invisible disease Mm -hmm. that you look completely well, um, it's very hard for people to understand that you're not. Yep. Um, and there, there's some camaraderie in having mm. other people who have this, not the same disease but the same kind of silent hidden condition. Yes, yes, that makes so much sense. And again, like getting, like you said, for young women getting diagnosed these days, you know, it's, it's, it's different in that they can access online support and groups and talk about things. And I was thinking, though, you have to be kind of perhaps careful that you don't get to scare yourself too much perhaps with, you know, if you'd known what was ahead, because every yes. is like you're saying everyone's experience is different. We don't know how your body's going to go compared to my body and the treatments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how, I wonder how, how. What would you What would you sort of advise? I guess a woman who's recently recently been diagnosed. How How to manage that and not get too swept up in. Um, try and get some proper literature so there's a couple Mm -hmm. of really great books out there there's a book on Mm -hmm. endometriosis so there's a website i think it's called pelvicpain.org i'm sorry that i don't know it and they've got a couple of really great pieces of literature um Mm -hmm. on one living with pain and one on endometriosis and when i read that book um having lived with the condition for 20 years i learned more about that oh really about the condition reading that book and um 
there's a lot of, I don't know what the exact term is for it, but there's a lot of reassurance yes. when you read other people's experience. Yes. Because yeah. like, oh, okay, so that's really normal that mm. I can feel like that. Mm. And so, um, you know, getting, I'm right into holistic approaches, um, but yeah. trying to get your information on the disease itself from proper medical sources right. is really important. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you go into Facebook groups, approach with caution okay. um, because people are, can be highly opinionated, especially around fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you don't want to throw yourself into too much information because nobody knows your journey yep. and nobody knows what's ahead of you, not even your doctors. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe thanks for that. I, I might um, in the show notes write like we'll chat, I'll get you the, and more. I'll get yeah. you the name of the two books that I highly recommend because they've be been great. really, really helpful in understanding one chronic pain and two endometriosis. Yeah. So, um, I will get those to you as well. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and I guess I'm curious, like for say uh, teenagers that what, you know, what if they, if they are possibly developing or having developed endometriosis and having particularly bad periods like what should they do should they go and talk to their their gp how do they get taken seriously and not kind of dismissed as yeah. just having bad you know so um what what the advice is is that mm-hmm. if your periods the pain that you have mm-hmm. cannot be controlled with over-the-counter pain medication right um then you need to t- need to take that further mm-hmm. and um if you're a kind of teenager, you need to speak to your parents about that mm-hmm. and get them as your advocates. Cause my mom was definitely my advocate. Yeah. Um, and she never believed that I was, you know, um, faking it or yeah. diminishing, you know? Um, so you definitely need people that believe in you because they're going to be mm-hmm. on this journey with you. And um, I, I do think GPs are a lot better now than what they were, mm-hmm. you know, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and um you will need to push to see a gynecologist and you don't be surprised if the disease doesn't show up um i know that the Mm. university of queensland is working on a blood test at the moment um that would be be amazing yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) because um if you've got painful periods and the first diagnostic tool is surgery you're kind of all in yeah (laughs) it's a bit rough isn't it it is yeah yeah so um i just think don't let anyone tell you that it's not real right because no one walks in your shoes yeah beautiful so important um and if i you know if i think finding the right people to talk to in terms of doctors and and stuff like mm. that you shop around you know you find someone who's going to listen to you and who will refer you on because you know gps are gatekeepers and that's just our system that's just the way it is yeah and my gp in sydney started to take my whole condition really seriously because i just wasn't right well i, I was virtually yeah. non-functioning and wow. at that point when you kind of you're losing consciousness and your oh. blood pressure skyrocketing and you're kind of lucid from that you know that 10 pain yeah the, the, oh. uh, you, you should reference the pain scale because i think i've talked about that a it, bit yes. for people who don't understand it yep, um, yep, yep. um you become very intimately aware of that so when people ask you what's your pain yep. um I, I can do yep. the numbers so easily and tell you where I've been at. Um, yep. And, yeah, if, if people haven't heard of that, it's a very good way of explaining your pain because mm. it quantifies it. Yeah. Um, and, and it allows you so that, um, you know, if you're at, usually when you've hit that five, it's really interfering with your functionality, whereas right. that two, three is an underlying residual pain. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole scale and it's very important to understand that because, mm. 
um, when you say to someone, it's horrible, mm. I feel terrible, mm. it's very hard to quantify yeah. that. Yeah, it is. Whereas when you start to have side effects from pain, like the vomiting, the nausea, the lucidness, the lack of consciousness, wow. those really tell you you're right at that top end of that pain scale. Mm. Um but it's really hard to articulate. Yes. And so if you have that pain scale and can learn to understand it, it's really, really helpful for uh, any expert that you go to. So um, getting familiar with that is really, really useful. Yeah, I suppose that's a, a process which any, any woman who has that will go uh, go through that and understand what their eight, what an eight is compared to a two or yes. a five. And, and- um, there's lots of, there's actually now um, an endometriosis app um, oh, called it? Quando. Um, and it has it's a very useful tool because it allows you to track your pain and also to track possible triggers for pain as well nice so yeah that's important yeah yeah and so that's a a, it's a really good tool because it means you can go to your gp and say this is what my life looks like this is when i get pain it's from when i urinate or when i have sex or when i have sex in this position or yeah um those things which again is we're so tied up in um, a little bit of shame and embarrassment Mm -hmm. but are really really important bits of information for your doctor and medical team to understand sure and i mean that's their job bodies are their job so you can go in there and talk about any body part technically we just have to move on from that and i like to think that you know the next generation are less embarrassed than what mine was and i'm probably less embarrassed than what my mum was yeah yeah and that that makes sense um what is in regard to triggers then like what for you can i ask you sarah what um what do you notice like this like you said stress lack of sleep like are these kind of common ones or is quite unique to each um each woman or diet there are some common ones so um quite often sexes can mm. be painful so in and of itself and can wow. can trigger they're called flare-ups when you have yep. a very bad pain moment doesn't mean the endometriosis is actually flared up inside your body it means your pain has flared up and right. so it's termed a flare-up mm. and so for me um i know that i don't cope well with alcohol mm-hmm. um that is mm-hmm. not my friend mm-hmm. <laughs> um <Bugger. laughs> and it was actually my husband because i do like a drink um sure. and it was my husband said to me have you noticed every time you drink you have a flare-up and i'm like oh and I kind of was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Go away. Don't tell I don't me want that. to do that. <laughs> um, so I know that I can comfortably have one or two drinks. And if I go much more than that, I'm really um, dancing with the devil. <laughs> right. Risky business. Um, yeah. And other people have um, so a lot of dietary related flare ups. Mm-hmm. And so um, some people have follow what's called a low inflammation diet Mm -hmm. and find that really helpful and that often involves cutting out a lot of gluten and um, processed food so um, having using that the app and even Mm. just keeping a little journal of maybe what you've eaten what you've drunk Mm. Um, I also find I pretty much I'm not into the gym I'm not a super sporty person Mm -hmm. but my husband and I walk 20 to 30 minutes every single day regardless and there's a lot of research that supports low level activity with pain management. So um, I, I, I just do that. I've done it so often that I rarely miss it. And I just think that um, it's a spiral with pain. So the more pain you're in, the less you more, you want to lie in bed and do nothing, Mm -hmm. then the more vulnerable you become and the less you're able to cope. And there's a lot of research supporting low level activity with your ability to cope with pain. Mm. Still being as, mobile as you can be kind of yes yeah so um you know um not that boom and bust where you kind of do nothing and then you overdo it when you feel well don't be victim to that you want to just try and you know when you feel well don't try and save the world yeah (laughs) 
Which um, and I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. Like, I'm having a good day. I'm going to do everything. Yeah, which <laughs> might, okay, and that makes sense. If you've been, you know, quite debilitated, then you've got all these things you want to do and you've got energy and you're like, right, chuck myself out there. But you can't, it sounds mm. like you just can't. You've got to try and be as balanced and as kind yeah. to yourself. And I'm, um, I think we talked about before they started recording, yeah. I'm not a perfectionist um, and don't yeah. suffer with that. So, and I'm also very easygoing. If my house is a mess, <laughs> um, that's okay. Yep. And it doesn't, it's mm. no reflection on me. And um, if it has to, something has to slide, then it's okay. And I've become mm. very, very good at that. Nice. <laughs> Not to say I live in a, a detritus, <laughs> but um, I just, um, I'm just very conscious that there are bigger things in life than yep. worrying about when someone walks through my front door, what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Great that you are that way. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think the being the perfectionist thing can be very problematic, you know, on top of whatever else you're struggling with. But, you know, for some people, yeah. they kind of, all oh, I can control that, you know, kind of things. So I'm going to go out and do all this stuff, but it's counterproductive. Yeah. You're setting yourself up for this first yeah. failure and, and, and flare-ups, which are like nasty things that mm. will take you off your feet for whatever time it decides to do that. So, yeah, mm. uh, the, we don't need yeah, the the message I keep, he- I guess the theme I keep hearing from you is the importance of knowing yourself and learning about your body, learning about this disease, um, tracking, documenting, you know, witnessing that and then noticing links and patterns and then being able to take that to the doctor or whoever it is, your team, your treating team. Um, mm. But But just coming back to the self, you know, and knowing yourself and having a degree of acceptance really, it sounds like if you're going to, push against it or deny it or fight it it's probably going to make it worse I imagine kind of thing. yes and the more you go, I would 100% agree with that yeah and look I I've, I have to say this obviously I've lived with this condition as a diagnosis mm. for 20 years yeah. um, and I have done a lot of medical treatment and I've done a lot of alternative therapy treatment as well yeah. um, and so I don't come to this table today wise yeah. um from having been the best person to myself. <laughs> it's often the way though, isn't it? It really is. All in the hard way. Yeah. And yeah. even um, like last week I had a, several days of the um, persistent two low-level pain. Mm-hmm. And after about three days that I was like, right, I need to stop or this is going to escalate. Yeah. And I actually just went and put myself to bed for the afternoon. And um, that night I felt really, I was very fatigued. Fatigue is different to tiredness, if anyone's wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, can I just ask, I kind of just you... stayed in bed yeah. for about 20 hours because yep. just didn't feel good. And I wasn't, I don't have to articulate why I don't feel good. I'm just not right. Yep. Um, and then I can just pop up and I'm okay. And I don't, mm. actually don't have to explain that to anyone now. <laughs> Brilliant. That's so that's so inspiring, I think. For, <laughs> no, it is for many women to hear. You know, you don't have to explain yourself. You know yourself and you know what you need to do and you're just going to do it. And because at the end of the day, everyone around you is going to be better off if you are resting and you are taking yourself seriously. Otherwise, if we're cranky and fatigued and in pain or debilitated, that doesn't serve anyone. No, know? and the pain will the pain will come out in mm. ways in which you will then feel so remorseful of how you've maybe treated mm. people that you love because mm. you lash out at them mm. and you push them away and you do all those things that you're like, why am I doing that? And we don't need to do that. We, you know, we need to get support and love. Mm. And so that starts with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like having good communication, good, honest, you know, you were talking about with your sons and your husband uh, and your mother and 
these genuine kind of heartfelt kind of conversations about what how do we all you know navigate this all together is yes. is just so important otherwise it's yeah no one's gonna yeah <laughs> go no through. and i know like um I, i'm sure some of you are listening thinking i have like a perfect husband he's still a man he would still love to <laughs> hey. fix me and sometimes he doesn't want to talk about feelings <laughs> um and so some but and but he's also very compassionate in that if yeah. he sees that i'm not well he will say hey babe you're really pale today how are you feeling or yeah. he'll just say do you want to pop into bed and i'll bring the laptop and i'll bring you a cuppa yeah and a heat bag and so he doesn't have to go yeah. oh my god it doesn't have to yeah. fawn over me yeah yeah <laughs> but, but he, he just has to you. be supportive yes very and it's very simple it's not rocket science really these are very simple steps but the, the point is he sounds tuned into you really and can kind of sometimes read you more better than you read yourself mm. or that you want to you're like no no no, i'm fine and he's like no i don't i don't think I, i'm i'm still guilty of pushing through <laughs> yeah. and he'll watch that <laughs> <laughs> must be hard to give that up that would be challenging I think. Um, and obviously when you're self-employed, yes. uh, if you don't work, you don't earn any money. So yeah. that's fairly motivating. But I also know that if I don't take care of myself, then I won't be able to work. Yeah. So I have to I have to pay attention to mm. the, the messages my body's giving me. I have mm. to listen. Mm. Can you um, – you mentioned before the, the, the difference between tiredness and fatigue. And I was wondering if you could just – how would you describe those differences? Uh, so, so tiredness, if, if you're getting a good night's sleep, mm -hmm. you won't feel tired until the afternoon or the evening when you have, um, when your body needs to then go back to sleep to replenish and, mm -hmm. you know, repair. Mm -hmm. And so that's the normal part. That's the normal cycle of us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I've actually been seeing a, a naturopath about four years to help me with my sleep. Yes. Um, and so fatigue is when you have had a good night's sleep. And I've had this where it's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting in my car mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm walking in mud. And I feel like if I could close my eyes at the steering wheel, I would do that right then and there. Wow. And it's that um, it's like my body's been weighed down. And if mm. I was someone to throw me an ocean, I would sink to the bottom. That kind of Gee. feeling that you're so heavy and that um, it's a different sense to being tired because tired is something yep. where your body is telling you you need to sleep, whereas fatigue right. is a symptom telling you you need to rest right now mm. because something's happening that needs to be repaired mm. and so that fatigue can hit you at any time of the day or night mm. um and it's um it's, it's it's um can be it's quite um what's so it's quite pernicious in that it just mm. really wants you to do what it wants you to do so mm. i've had moments of sitting in my car and I'm like, i just don't know how if i can even press on the accelerator to get off these traffic lights wow <laughs> that's like um, a cellular level fatigue yeah and um and then, then it, of course, your brain just goes, well, you're just lazy. Mm, thanks, brain. <laughs> you need to, mm. you know, because you tell yourself these terrible stories. Mm. Like you just, if you were more active, um, you would be fine. And you tell yourself all these oh. ridiculous stories. Yeah. Um, if you ate better and didn't drink so much coffee, this wouldn't be, like you tell yourself. Mm. Um, mm. So you do, I still do in my head sometimes punish myself, but now mm. I'm much more aware of the fatigue and mm. understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whereas I used to be very angry about it. Ah, and I can't imagine anger would have helped anything. No, well, you just push through and then you're literally pushing your body to its breaking point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and then you snap. I imagine at some point, you know. Yes. And make the whole thing worse Again, and longer, and yeah, yeah. Really challenging, and um, 
again, this is why I think if you do have a diagnosis um, with something that you live with chronic pain, I just think it should almost be mandatory that you go and speak to someone, um, that you get put on a mental health plan and you go and talk to someone because the, the need for you to understand how to manage yourself and to talk to yourself in your head. Mm. Um, that's taken me a lot of looking inwards. Mm. Um, and also a lot of the fact that my body refuses <laughs> to be well, <laughs> despite my best efforts. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't talk myself well. Yeah. And so I have to talk nice to myself <laughs> Yeah, and, um, you know, I've said this to um, a counsellor that I was seeing and I said, if I I heard someone speak to my children Mm. the way I spoke to myself, I would run them down in my car. (laughs) And that's really telling in that we Mm. have to, like it's all very well for my mum to come around and say, hey, babe, just rest up, I'm going to do this for you. Mm. If in my head I'm just going, you stupid, lazy loser. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Like one minute of kindness can't overcome 24 hours a day, seven days a week of negative self-talk. Yeah. Yeah, what a what a harsh lesson <laughs> that is. <laughs> yes, well, if you can't talk yourself well, you've got to start talking nicely to yourself. Yeah, and that self compassion is so important, but so challenging. You know, it's sort of on the power of that self care. Anything that's where we have to turn around and be kind to ourselves, just like you said, is you know, because how would you speak to your children or your your partner? It's shocking really what still goes on in our heads and I think that's a lifelong process really of Mm. starting to get get you getting to know your head and your tendencies to kind of beat yourself up or punish yourself or whatever and and if you've been doing that a long time you know that takes a long time to undo you know and hence the importance Mm. of perhaps going to see someone and work 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 it's even um as much as so as many surgeries and Mm -hmm. conversations and discussions and as much as I understand my condition Mm -hmm. um I've been reasonably well for the last probably six months Mm -hmm. and I heard myself saying to myself I was like lying in bed and I was reading and I was like maybe I was just making up all that pain maybe (gasps) it wasn't that bad because I feel well yeah so then you go to this place and I'm just like you idiot goodness And I said it out loud because I was so cross at myself because I was like, just because you feel well, it doesn't diminish how bad you felt. Yeah, no, no. But it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a trap though. It's a mind trap in a way, you know, and I, it's, a, I think it's the same with some other physical mental health conditions. When you, when you get a bit better for a while or things are managed okay, it's, I think it's very easy to go, well, I was just, you know, overactive you know overreacting or it wasn't that bad because in a way I think we don't we want it to not be that bad we don't want to think mm. it's going to come back but it, if it's a chronic condition it, it will there will be ups mm. and downs you know and it's yeah and I think diminishing that I, I mm. really really check myself mm. um, because um, as soon as you tell someone as soon as I tell someone that I've just met what I live with and what it's like Mm -hmm. you can see it in their eyes they feel such um such compassion and obviously um sort of even people don't know you very they 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 genuinely look compassionate and upset for you and you're like people don't make that up it's because you're seriously sick Sarah like come on (laughs) (laughs) hello oh god we're our own worst enemies sometimes 100 percent really 100 really true um Thank you so much. We have been chatting for an hour, believe it or not. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, 
Sorry, I'm very chatty. No, you mustn't apologise. That's another kind of fatal error, I think. Many. Oh, it is. <laughs> I live in a house with men, so I get to. Yeah. Talk, like, I don't get to talk anywhere near enough of my daily female requirement. Oh God, how do you do it? Actually, I live in the same thing. Yeah, I've got a house with men, and I'm, yeah, I feel like I'm constantly talking. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really, it has to to have you on as our very first guest and to hear you talk about your journey um and how you've where you're at now with it and it sounds like you're at um you know a place of acceptance and and kind of management and passion really for helping other women and supporting other women who have definitely yeah which is so exciting to hear thank you thank you um and thank you so much and and thank you to all your listeners because i truly appreciate you tuning in and listening to my humble journey and I hope that it inspires you to go out into the world and talk about it yeah brilliant I am hope so too and I will be I'll be putting in the show notes some of the, the information that Sarah's been talking about fantastic I'll make sure I get all that for you Melanie brilliant thanks Sarah thank you podcast brought to you by women's health and well-being services you can find us on facebook instagram and youtube by looking up women's health and well-being services you can also find us at our website www.whws.org.au bye